Hello everyone and welcome to episode 98 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, Mark's dispatches from the Netherlands, Yamcha, master of combat sports, Epic shuts down Paragon, great financial news for Nintendo, Capcom and Konami... And our book club this week combines everyone's two favourite things, charming hand-drawn aesthetics and the aiming mechanics designed by an absolute sadist. It's Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. Let's start the show. Link to the Cast, episode 98, from your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, be it Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am every week by the now 30-year-old Mark Robinson. Alright. Mark, how are you? I'm 30. You're leaning into the fourth decade of your life real hard with the backwards cap and the PlayStation sweater. (laughs) I feel cool. <laughs> How are you? How's your week? I'm good. Uh, as you mentioned there, yep, I went to Amsterdam for my 30th. Was and... this your first trip to the Netherlands? Not to the Netherlands, no. Uh, I went to the Lowlands Festival when I was about 21, I think, and saw a mixture of artists, including Elbow and the Afghan Twins and Killswitch Engage. So, <laughs> and Sigur This fire does indeed burn. Yeah, indeed. Um... But yes, this is my first time properly going to uh, the the capital, Amsterdam, and uh, and it's a place I'd wanted to go for for many years. Just one of those cities that I'd never gone round to, um, and insane considering that it's like an hour from here, and obviously like forty minutes from London. So it's you know not exactly that far to get to. Um, and yeah, I had a really really nice time. I really like Amsterdam. It's a very uh, I don't want to say chilled out city because that's kind of a bit cliched for you know certain vices that you can partake in, but it is a very partially because um, there's only like eight hundred eighty thousand people that live in the city as compared to Dublin or London where it's you know we're into the millions, um, but just kind of as we was doing the the walk around uh, tour. Um, and our guy, Michael, who uh, was very nice, and he dropped in a Bill Hicks quote, so I was a big fan. Um, you know, it's just talking about that, hey, you know, we legalise cannabis here, kind of, sort of, grey area, but, you know, we're not going to pull you up on the streets about it. You can go into the cafe, you can get it with your coffee, and, you know, th- there's no issue. And, you know, legalise prostitution and... They all have their health benefits, um, and you know, there's no pimps in the street. There's no kind of trafficking of any kind of nature, and you just you're walking around the red light district, uh, kind of casually eating a waffle, and you know there are prostitutes either side, but it, you quickly just kind of like, yeah, all right, I guess that's just how it is, um, and it ends up that that's not the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing is when you see a family with their five-year-old in a pushchair being walked along these narrow alleyways with these red lights either side and women barely not wearing anything. And you're like, all right, that's a bit much. That's uh, whatever. Um, but it, it's 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 a really nice city. It's got that kind of Eastern European architecture, quite gothic in places, but a lot of the um kind of canal routes are all just these just kind of very tall narrow buildings and you have the ones that are kind of wonky because the whole thing's built on sand basically so you've got buildings yeah just kind of leaning all over the place 
um and we we went to the 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 van gogh museum uh which was uh, cool he'd done a good art cut his ear off quite interesting interesting fella um and we did a a nice little kind of uh, canal tour uh with a three-course meal on my birthday evening which was lovely and yeah oh and we stayed in a hotel that was basically the set of rapture yeah i saw that that was fucking mad I, I, it was basically like I was expecting the next picture to have like the circus of values and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah it was like I, it had that kind of like is it Art Deco? Is that the kind of the, yeah. the movement? I can't remember. Yeah. It's that basically nineteen uh, fifties American dream aesthetic. Yeah, like like of... you'd see in in Rapture or in Fallout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fallout that, that is big of, into that aesthetic. It kind of um, like that kind of big band uh, house. Uh, yeah. sort of jazz lounge sort of thing mm. um, and uh, I mean when I walked in there I originally yeah, thought Art Deco is what I was yeah. thinking of when I walked in I originally thought <laughs> I thought I was originally in the ocean zone in Crystal Maze and I was expecting yeah. Richard O'Brien to come flying past uh, but then like as we saw the font and as we kind of went closer to the room it's yeah it's very much of that nature um, like Bioshock Rapture kind of nature um, so yeah, I'd, I'd really would recommend um, to anyone that wants to go um, to just yeah, you can spend a few days and and it's not as expensive as I was expecting. No, um, I was there. God, I would have been twelve maybe. Um, my godson is half Dutch, so shortly after he was born, uh, myself, uh, my mom, and my then my godson's immediate family all went over to bring him over to his grandparents on the the Dutch side of the family. Uh, So we went over to a place outside of Amsterdam. I can't remember how far. It felt like it was about an hour outside Amsterdam, whatever way we were traveling, uh, called Nijmegen. We stayed there for most of a week and then came into um, Amsterdam for a couple of days. And yeah, lovely city from what I can remember. Again, at that age, kind of all this stuff. Yeah, yeah flies over your head like I wasn't necessarily appreciating the architecture in the same way I would now but you know even a dumb kid will notice the fucking um, the, the narrow buildings and stuff like that we went to Anne Frank's house because I was already a history dork at that stage yeah I, I like that between me and Laura we did uh, Auschwitz for her birthday Anne Frank for my birthday you know yeah. so we're keeping with it's with good the you theme. found each other yeah that's really... well morbid <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I was originally going to go to Chernobyl, so she had to find something to kind of... <laughs> Look, I'm going yeah. to Auschwitz on Valentine's Day. Yeah, so. you are. Like, you I, are. Like, I'm not one to talk. Um, and the fucking airport is ridiculous. I don't, I don't remember anything about the airport. It is huge, because it's, it's, it is very much connected to, to the train station, mm. um, which, you know, I have like Stansted and, and um, Heathrow are quite similar, but they have nothing to uh, Schiphol Airport. It's huge. Um, and the the funniest thing, um, we went to the sex museum, mm-hmm. and they have a kind of like very uh, not safe for work section. I imagine that would be all of it. Well, this is like the really, really not safe. This is mm-hmm. the um, private browsing section, you know, <laughs> the incognito window room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it has all of these different uh, kinks, shall we say? And yeah. so it has them in uh, English, Dutch, French, and German. Mm-hmm. And so it goes around and it gives you the different translations. Were all the surfaces in this room wiped clean? Well, I, I didn't touch anything. <laughs> but you get around... Didn't and shine a black light in there many times. And there's a, there's a section uh, called B- Big Mama. And Big Mama is apparently the same in English, French, German, and Dutch. Ah. So... <laughs> 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you bring the facts. I, I tell that's you what, like, don't say it in come home. This is in the field reporting for yeah. me. That's what we've come to expect on the show. Uh, and I will also say that it's a city where it's very easy to quickly put on a lot of weight. Cause, uh, because basically, you know, they're all a massive bunch of stoners. Yeah. So what do you do when you're stoned? Get the munchies. Every single fucking shop, it's donuts, it's waffles. Yeah, a lot of the yeah. kind of like the specialities over there are very kind of like high sugar. Oh, yeah. Kind of uh, like the, the the waffles and the, the, like you said, donuts and stuff like that. I, but, uh, I do remember that. I had waffle with New York cheesecake and oh, let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, but yeah, how Terrible. are you? Uh, yeah, good. Did you miss me? Oh, yeah, dearly. Good. Deeply. Um, we quite enough week saw a couple of things in this, and I went back to that Stella theatre. That I can't remember if I spoke about it on this one or on our sister podcast, Popcorn Social, of which one will be dropping in the next couple of weeks. Myself and Jack and I just need to line up an evening to do one. Um, it's this restored cinema from uh, like the fifties or sixties that's in Rathmines in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is again to bring back the the name of it. It is uh, done out in an Art Deco style, so it feels like a real old timey theatre experience as opposed to the modern kind of multiplex experience. All the uh, the individual chairs are big leather armchairs to the point where like if you were sitting directly beside someone, like if you say you go with your your missus or something like that. Um, you you slouch so far back into the armchairs that you can't see the person directly next to you. <laughs> it's great. Everybody gets their own table. There's one screen. It's a big auditorium with one screen. The three types of chairs you can get there are big-ass armchairs, big-ass couches, which we haven't tried, and then, like, the front row, there's a couple of beds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to see Fargo, um, which I'd never seen on the big screen because, obviously, when it came out in, I think, like, 1996 or somewhere around that kind of time, yeah. Um, I was a little bit too young for that kind of a film um, so it was cool sometimes when films come back into a cinema and you, you have, you've never had a chance to see them on the big screen it's interesting to see what the superior projection and sound system does to the film that you never noticed before like Fargo has this uh, like Coen Brothers movies are known for their very unique scores how like all their movies not only look different but sound different um, and I really love the Fargo has, has this very bombastic, almost like fatalistic cinematic soundtrack um, that comes like it, it's really pronounced when you see it on the screen. And there's a lot of um, imagery going on with the, with the snow, like the, the, the kind of like the making it very kind of austere and you really do feel cold <laughs> looking at it the way they capture the snow in it and that's just again accentuated uh by having it on the big screen so that was good and then we had people over for the the royal rumble oh yes the royal rumble um <laughs> this weekend uh we won't dwell on it because we're going to do a wrap up this week that should touch wood be out by the weekend um with uh myself jack and Barry, you are kind of. We don't. You probably won't be on it. No, because I am now scheduling. signed up. I'm now signed up to the gym. So oh, indeed, that's the game. Oh, the game. The game. That's a thing I have to do. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be recording that probably tomorrow as we're recording this, and hopefully I'll have it out by the weekend then. Um, and we'll we'll talk all Royal Rumble and NXT on that. But uh, kind of long story short, very very good weekend of wrestling. Yeah. That led into a very good week of wrestling television. Um, one of the better Raws I've seen in a long time. SmackDown was a bit weird. We'll talk about that. 
on the show and then 205 Live which I have not caught up with yet but according to you I need to yeah it was a good show and then there's uh, Roddy and Tyler tonight on NXT mm-hmm. so yeah yeah to see who gets the next shot of Pete uh, yes which I still don't quite understand with the whole UK title ah, well, Johnny Gargano got a shot at it so. well I was still like I didn't quite get it then but it's the anyway. good wrestlers championship yeah let's <laughs> just call it that uh, yeah but loads more talk about that on the um, on the, the grab up later this week just wanted to plug that and of course the, the popcorn social which will be coming back next week or the week after um, so check those out shall we just uh, go straight to the video games my friend let us do that playing this week hey check it out I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2 Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. There was a Mark Robinson game that came out this week. Mark Robinson. So, I'm not going to say that Celeste is my game of the year (laughs) in January. Uh, It is very much a Mark Robinson TM game in all all the ways. Um, So, this came out, I want to say, last Thursday or Friday, I think. Um, And I picked it up straight away. Uh, it's 20 quid on the Switch. I imagine it's about the same for the PS4, Xbox, and Steam. Uh, it is a 2D platformer with a retro visual aesthetic. I feel like the I've said that. people at home will be stunned. <laughs> I feel like I've said that once or twice before. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the retro kind of like, okay, this is indebted to that style, but that couldn't have been done on the NES. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very modern approach to it. It's kind of like, that's the coat of paint, but what's going on under the hood it couldn't have existed. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so it, it has uh, kind of Meat Boy tendencies with this kind of Twitch puzzler kind of mechanic behind it where, like, you, you, you sort of, you go into a room and you try and kind of visualize uh, the path that you need to take. Now, with Meat Boy, you're a lot quicker about that. Like, you're pretty much in the room and you're going because there's a timer. Um, here with Celeste it's a lot more <clears throat> not to say slow paced but it's a lot more kind of methodical like you can go into a room and it really becomes like a puzzler in that you have to lay out the path in front of you because as you get further into the game um, you're faced with a lot more obstacles they're all kind of based around a theme of a spike pit or bottomless uh, gap uh, or bottomless pit, pit sorry um, and you play uh, as this woman who is trying to climb a mountain and so you're c- kind of going in a sort of uh, a vertical direction but you're branching off left and right and when you first start you feel like the, the game kind of takes you on branching paths um, but you quickly realise or usually when you can kind of come back to a level uh, or even by the second or third level you realise that there's a lot of bran- branching paths but they're not different ways to uh, traverse up the mountain um, and it's just, it all leads to secret areas or areas to get collectibles. Um, and the way that you, you can maneuver around is you have the ability to do uh, like a dash. So it kind of feels like a, a, a double jump at first. Yeah. But you realize that as you jump, you can then dash in any direction. Uh, and that becomes really, really handy. But you can only do it once until you land back on solid ground again. Um, and you also have the ability to wall jump uh, and also to hold on to the side of a wall. Um, but you have like a certain amount of stamina, but the stamina shows in the the character herself uh, as she kind of gets more flustered and then she sort of turns red and starts flashing uh, and then you drop, but you can recharge that by 
kind of continuously jumping either side if you have something to jump onto. Yeah. Um, and so the game just kind of expands on that theme of um, giving these more and more obstacles which involve you uh, running and jumping, dashing, wall climbing, or, or some kind of combination of the four of those things. Um, so you'll get to areas where you have like these kind of small orbs, and when you land in them, um, it will kind of shoot you in any direction, and will also recharge your air dash as well. So you can kind of clear a whole square, a whole section of the screen um, in kind of one fluid motion. And it gets pretty challenging pretty quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Very much in that kind of Meat Boy sort of way. Um, there are collectibles, which are these uh, strawberries. I think you realise pretty quickly on that the strawberries are completely pointless and serve no purpose other to be collect other than to be collected. Mm-hmm. But I still need to collect them. You're very ill. It, 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 I, I like to think of it. <clears throat> the strawberries <laughs> are uh, a difficulty setting. You can either play through the game as just trying to get from point A to point B, and then every now and again you have these strawberries, which are like these quick little sections of, hey, here's the hard path. Um, And they really test your abilities on everything that you've learned uh, and require a lot of, like, there will be one mechanic where when you air dash, there's a platform in the middle of the room, and that platform will quickly shoot to the left and then slowly come back to the right. So you have to say jump over the platform, air dash, grab onto the platform as it starts swinging left, jump to the other side onto a wall, grab a strawberry, grab this diamond which recharges your air dash, cling to the wall, then jump, kind of leap of faith style, dash, hope that the wall meets you halfway, this platform that's moving, to get you back to the other side. Uh, Just loads of kind of things like that. And it's just, yeah, it's, uh, (laughs) it's really good. Um, it's a bit of a pain to play with the Joy-Con mm. because sometimes I want to hit a diagonal direction and it will send me up or right. Just just get the Pro Controller, for God's sake. At some point. <laughs> at some point. Um, and the surprising thing as well is that there is an actual story to the game. Um, and it presents itself quite nicely. And so the, there's this woman that's trying to climb this mountain and like the reasoning behind why she wants to climb the mountain is kind of slowly unfolded on over the chapters um and there's a few other characters that you meet along the way and they're all quite unique um and she is this person who she's kind of she tries to present herself as being quite tough on the outside but there's obviously some issues underneath um there's quite a lot of anxiety she suffers from panic attacks um and there's a real kind of nice human element to this like little kind of 2D sprite um, mm. and the the chat boxes that appear above the screen have this kind of nice actual uh, kind of flash style uh, design to them that makes them feel a little bit more kind of realistic or a little bit more human um, the soundtrack is excellent um, I haven't been listening too much to it because I've been usually listening to podcasts um, but I'm going to go back to that and give that a, a real listen because I have to go back over the levels to um collect the rest of the strawberries and stuff because once you finish a level it will give you like the chapters of each level and it will show you like how many strawberries you have to collect still and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I i can't find any faults with it at this time other than just the actual hardware playing it on yeah. um but it's, that, that, that's not just on switch it's, no it's yeah, on it's... like ps4 and steam as well um i've put about 
five hours into it so far. Uh, mm. but that's because I've been going back a lot. I, like, I haven't even finished the game yet. Um, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, speaking of really good, uh, I've been playing the the game that it was quite a source of contention as to how it was pronounced until the developer came out this week and corrected everybody. Uh, it is pronounced, in fact, Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh-huh. Not Dragon Ball Fighter Z, not Dragon Ball Fighters, or anything like that. Dragon Ball Fighters, which is the new Dragon Ball Z fighting game uh, coming out of uh, Arc Systems and Bandai Namco. Um, this is a very good fighting game, Mark Robinson. Um, it looks like the the so far anyway in playing it, the early promise of how this game looks more like dragon ball z than any previous like whether it be the the xenoverse games which i was never entirely sold on or the budokai tenkaichi games well it's not so much the way that it looks even though it does look amazing but Uh it's the way that it feels and plays because that's Mm -hmm. always been the problem with the dragon ball z fighting games so what what they've done here is rather than and i've seen a couple people go the problem with the better dragon ball z fighting games in the past is that some of them were good Dragon Ball games, but none of them were good fighting games. Sure. Um, so what Arc System Works have done here is they've decided that, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. So let's just borrow uh, ideas, concepts from other successful fighting games and maybe kind of co-opt that into what is a, a very, very good looking game. And the main, immediately when, when you boot up the game and you get into a fight, uh, the... the 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 series that comes to mind immediately in what it borrows from is uh, Marvel versus Capcom, uh, both in terms of kind of how it controls, um, and um, the team mechanic, the fact that it isn't just kind of like uh, I pick Goku, you pick Vegeta. We each pick a team of three, um, and throughout the fight, you can do things like you can switch characters, you can get uh, like you can. Tee up one of your own special moves and get an assist from another character coming in to kind of like almost tag in and continue the attack without kind of breaking the momentum of the battle, which is very important. Like, if you had a kind of tag in and out system where, like, every time you try to tag in a new character, it goes to a little cutscene, that kind of breaks the momentum of a fighting game. And the one thing that you want from a fighting game is that it needs to be quick, it needs to be frantic, you need to be able to get into the thick of it as quickly as possible. You know what I mean? Anything else is just fucking getting in the way. Um, the game is really good at making you um, it's one of those games where you can feel like you're doing real cool shit before you really know how to do the proper really cool shit like there's very basic attacks in the game that even if you're a button basher even if you're somebody who's just getting into it you can still do some very spectacular looking things that are very well animated Um, there are like uh, some special attacks that knock people off the screen for a second. There are the kinds of ones that, like, say the 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 opponent that you have put out for me is, is a bit too powerful. I can queue up a special attack that knocks him back into your into your party for a while. Like, it's a little bit of a cooldown. He can't come back out, and one of your other guys that might be weaker that you're trying to hide from me is forced back out onto the field. Um, there are cool like. It, it, what one of the things it does that I I really appreciate uh, 
relative to one of the problems I used to have with the Budokai Tenkaichi games is that I felt those were not just because of their control scheme, but I thought they were very floaty in as much as they would kind of allow you to fly freely at will and around in a circle as well as up and down. Um, and when you're not grounded or when you don't spend much, when you don't have to spend any time grounded at all, some of the impact and some of the feel of a fighting game is lost in that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you're kind of like everybody's just kind of like floating around in the screen, it, it just it it kind of a bit. Eh, well, I don't know like, how to describe it. I know with um, prior Dragon Ball Z games that not so so much I've kind of what uh, played but watched um, characters that are in the air. They feel they don't feel like they're actually floating in the air. They feel like they're just on a kind of fixed platform in yeah, the air, but the yeah. platform is invisible. And, and as well, by forcing you to stay grounded for the majority of the fight, like the only real time that you leave the ground for a significant period of time is either during a special attack that involves you flying as part of the animation, uh, or if you get a decent enough combo that you're basically juggling the enemy and yourself in the air by continuing the combo. Mm. Uh, by keeping you grounded like that, another thing that it's able to do and another fence it's able to uh, or it's able to vault is another problem I had with the old games, which is the idea that if you ha- if you just pick the fighter that's very good with energy blasts from range, if you're not only able to get to the other side of the field away from somebody, but if you're able to get a bit of height on them as well, that kind of just kills the contest. Whereas if everybody's forced to be grounded the majority of the time, you're going to have to kind of like get in close quarter combat secrecy. Yeah. <laughs> um so it, it jumps over that um the the animation is beautiful um like i said it's it's it really does we're in that age now where it's not it's not revolutionary because we've seen games like cuphead now that that create that recreate a car a certain cartoon aesthetic in a video game or even within the fighting game genre we've seen things like guilty gear Xrd and things like that 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 looks very anime as fuck. It doesn't look kind of polygonal fighting game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but still, a, for a Dragon Ball fan, looking authentically like the show or like the manga is paramount. Yeah. So you've got people in with that, and then again, you've got the the fighting game fan and the fact that it actually feels really good. We were remarking uh, just before the show started that it it's a cold day in hell that the the crew of giant bomb prefer playing this to street fighter 5 which mm. shows not only how good this game but how bad street fighter 5 is um a couple of problems i have with it um they're just like they're just i feel like i'm splitting hairs on this because what you're there for is the fighting and the fighting is good okay so boom and like you can do uh, local fights, online fights, for which the netcode seems to be good from the couple of fights I've tried and got whomped at. Yep. Um, you can set up local tournaments as well. So if you have a few people over and you're opening a few beers, you could set up a, a tournament. Um, so it's got all that stuff in it, which is crucial. But the small couple of things uh, I, I have with it. Firstly, I don't think anyone is going to be overawed by the story mode in it. Now, I haven't had a chance to play the story mode, but I, I've kind of had a gloss over what it is and it seems the the consensus on the story mode in it is that it's kind of very trite and fan servicey mm-hmm. but not very well written uh, it's kind of 
I'll read the plot here. Goku and his friends must fight a new battle against a revived Android 16 and an army of super androids designed to resemble and fight just like them led by the villainous Android 21. Story is split into three arcs. The Super Warriors arc, the Super Villain arc and the Android 21 arc, each of which follows the story from the perspectives of Goku, Frieza and 18. I mean, this might as well just be Dragon Ball Z GT. Yeah, like it's... it, it, It gets bonus marks for trying to create an original story in the um in the Dragon Ball Z universe that's set somewhere between the um it says between the future trunks and universe survival arcs of Dragon Ball Super so that's where it is in the in the continuity but um if you're going to try do an original story within a well established canonical universe you're going to have to do better than something like this which is like hey remember these guys before they're ju- from before they're just magically back now because reasons well i i think it's that thing where like with Dragon Ball they've gone through the actual story in game form and like, unless you do mm. kind of like a hard reboot, Mortal Kombat style, which isn't yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, and considering that, I would imagine most of the the effort has been put into just making this game, the actual yeah. game, as good as it can be. Yeah, I'm not surprised that the story either feels like it's taking a backseat or just. Well, I, I don't see, care about anything to do with Dragon Ball past actual Dragon like, Ball Z. Yeah, you know? so like, I think the the, the reason is because I, I think in this day and age now we have. Uh, and, and I think um, injustice is what is to par- is partially to blame uh, for this, and that's injustice took, like I said, injustice gods among us, the first one, took uh, a well-established universe and created its own story within it, and it was very good. It was the best part of that game, to be honest with you. Um, so I would say either if you're going to do an original story like really try something a bit less trite and hackneyed um and if you're not going to try then just do what a lot of other dragon ball z games do and recreate a story arc from the show yeah because you're gonna get like <sighs> there'll be a subset of dragon ball z fans that'll be like oh i don't want to play through the frieza arc again or the cell games arc or anything like that but they won't be mad they'll just be disappointed whereas I think with this you're just gonna I don't know you're risking poking the hornet's nest but uh, in terms of how the game functions the problems I have with it because the the story in a fighting game is one of the least important factors of it for the vast majority of people who play it uh, in terms of the minute to minute operation of the game there are two problems I have with it um, and they're both related to the concept of online play mm-hmm. Um and both of them are factors that significantly slow down your ability to get from start screen to fighting. Um, there's an online hub in the game where, um, in in conception, it's a cool little idea. It's this little kind of village that you're all... Uh, that you and a bunch of other players kind of get poured into. Your avatar is like a chibi version of one of the characters. So, like, I'm a chibi chaotzu going around, <laughs> walking around. And Wait, like, a chi- Yeah, it, a- an even smaller chaotzu. Okay, right, <laughs> yeah. okay. Uh, so I'm walking around, I've got my local battle over here, my online battle over here, my training over here, my story mode, my shop, my Capsule Corp shop. Um, all that sort of thing. Um, But I don't... <sighs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to, like, boot into a game when it eventually loads. I have to run around for 10 to 15 seconds to find where I have to go to do this fight. 
I want a menu that snaps up and tells goes boom, boom, boom. Or at least the option to have the menu. Yeah, like even with Splatoon, that has yeah. the overworld, but you can press the X or Y button, yeah. and then that brings up... And here, here's the thing. It does technically do that. So you can hit a button, I think it's hit triangle, and a little list will pop up. It's like, oh, where do you want to go? But instead of it being a menu where you just pop straight into the fight... It's just you press triangle, oh, where do you want to go? I want to go to training, and it warps you over there, and you still have to interact with the person and go in. It seems like a real fucking roundabout way that it's like, we see the problem, but we don't understand why you have the problem with that, so we're going to try and solve it anyway. Um, And then the other thing is kind of related to that, in that when you boot up the game, it will automatically try to get you into the online lobby. The online lobby is the default state that's you once you press start on the game it brings you into an online lobby so there is it will take time to try and find an available lobby for you now after a couple of tries it gives you the button prompt that you can pick an offline lobby but for me i think if you want it the whole process to move quicker i think the default is an offline like you you boot in you show up in the lobby and you hit maybe square or whatever to go you want to go online right we're finding you lobby now and you can wander around in here while we connect you to the online lobby rather than you just sitting there watching a screen going trying to find lobby with the buffering symbol going yeah. um so that those two things are a little annoying because as i say uh even though i'm not the biggest uh fighting game expert in the world the importance is on minimizing your time spent out in the menus and and minimizing the time it takes you to get into a fight. You want to make that whole process as smooth as possible. Sure. Um, the character selection is, is fun in the game. Although the... the <laughs> I must say, Mark, as a fellow Dragon Ball Z fan, the whole uh, progression of the, the Super Saiyans has gone completely into the bin. <laughs> We're now at... Well, I, to be honest, we, by the end of Dragon Ball Z... No. was at that stage uh, it took me a moment to see that there's a Vegeta on it that's it says Vegeta SSGSS and he has blue hair okay and it's Super Saiyan God Super Saiyan yep that, <laughs> yep sure there's also a Goku Black uh, I did see that yeah. I, I saw a guy who was playing as Goku Black and hit like a 97 uh, chain combo yeah uh, Goku Black looks looks pretty badass yeah in fairness yeah. Um, uh, and of course Captain Ginyu's in there of course Tien yep. Yamcha yep. these are all default characters I think there's more that you unlock but I couldn't say for certain because again I'd have to do the story mode and get more all like, I want to know the uh, are the twins in hell are they in it not yet. That's anyway, disappointing. That, yeah, that is. But they can only exist with their stereotype German accents from Indeed. the uh, uh, what the fuck is it? Abridged uh, mm. series. Um, yeah, so that's Dragon Ball Fighters. Uh, I definitely recommend checking out. We'll probably have a game here some evening. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd like weekend. to play some of that. Um, yeah, that's what we've been playing this week. Uh, let's move into the news. News on the mark. Well, Mark, it's officially happened. The Nintendo Switch, in 10 months, has outsold the entire lifetime sales of the Wii U. Um, Which is, like... To be fair, I think about three months in, we knew that was going to happen. It was definitely on pace from very early on to do that. But it's still, I think, remarkable. As disappointing as the sales of the Wii U were... It is pretty... Like, that the same company with the very next console manages to 
lap it at such a quick rate. Um, 14.86 million Nintendo Switch consoles have now been sold worldwide since the platform's launch in March of last year. And it's it should uh, be mentioned that this is 14.86 million when they still have problems getting them supplied to shops. Uh-huh. They would probably be past 15 million now. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, if it wasn't for the legendary Nintendo supply constraint issues that uh, reign over this console as well. But uh, your, your thoughts on uh, Switch I'm, passing the way? I'm just... You. I mean, it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. Um, I didn't know if it would be within a year, which mm-hmm. is the really impressive thing. Um, but that's also taken into account that we still don't have the virtual console yet. We still mm-hmm. don't have uh, any uh, a formal announcement of Smash which will be and they're actually seller. I've never actually looked to see if that is um like a big seller for Nintendo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Um because I presume there are like Nintendo fans and then there's Smash fans and they're actually two exclusive things. Um the, yeah, there's definitely like the, there is parts of that. It's it's a proper Venn diagram in as much as there are people who don't typically buy all the Nintendo games but love Smash. Mm. Um and there's definitely a lot of Nintendo fans like you who don't care for Smash. No. Um, I would be right in the middle. Well, yeah. So, you know, they've still got a couple of aces up their sleeve. Um, but yeah, it's just... Sorry, this was actually within nine months. Yeah. We, yeah, 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 I guess it would this, be, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so we still got three months. We've got the last quarter to see how they fare with that. Yeah. We've got the... Um, fucking cardboard thing what the hell is that called again Labo 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 that nonsense how whatever that's gonna do mm-hmm. uh, yeah Nintendo are in a really good place and they're in a Bayonetta. really a Bayonetta fucking that's geez. out like next week or the week Sweet after mercy Bayonetta which I will need to get um, and now we'll definitely have to get a pro controller mm-hmm. um, it's yeah and, and the best thing about it is they have this market to themselves mm-hmm. you know because um, the, the Vita is dead. dead. And I would... If Microsoft announced a handheld controller, <laughs> oh boy, wouldn't that be something? Imagine Ma- the fucking size of it. Maybe they will... Add- <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get onto this news at some point, but maybe if Microsoft bought EA and uh-huh. just went, hey, be a handheld uh, controller... Here. Um, to put into perspective some of the sales that have been going on Super Mario Odyssey which went on sale in November has already sold 9.7 million copies oh it's October sorry middle of October Uh, comfortably it sold more than Star Wars Battlefront did on all platforms combined Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has sold 7.33 million Breath of the Wild is at 6.7 um with 4.91 million sales, Splatoon 2 has surpassed Splatoon 1 in terms of lifetime sales. I mean, you'd have um, to imagine that was going to happen. Exclusive like 1-2 Switch, which is 1.88 million. Uh, Arms, 1.61 million. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, 1.6, uh, 1.06 million have also all passed the 1 million sales. I'm, I'm happy that Arms is over a million uh, for a new IP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very happy about that. Um, and incredibly, even though like they're uh, kind of add-on versions of a game that only came out a year ago on 3DS, uh, the only notable releases in the last quarter were, or the last year really, uh, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon have combined sold 7.17 million units. So you just slap Pokemon on anything and it's going to do well, as we'll probably see when Detective Pikachu comes out. And thinking about it, there's the other one as well. Like the moment they announce... 
Oh, that Pokemon game that's coming. Ooh. <laughs> oh, mercy. They better uh, nail everything to the floor in GameStop. Because... <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> that's... If they, like, if they combine Pokemon coming out with, like, the first, like, very slight pl- price drop of the system, it's just going to destroy anything else that comes out. And imagine if at some point in the future they make the Switch XL, which has a camera on it, and they incorporate yeah. AR, uh, ability, augmented reality. We've still got Metroid Prime 4 coming see metroid has never been a seller so but still you know what i mean first party games coming sure like for for us obviously but in terms of being a seller like i can't imagine anyone is buying a switch uh for metroid Mm. that doesn't already have a switch you know and then you got like what are they going to announce us e3 you know it's like they're playing a blinder like they're playing a blinder to the extent where they're still fucking some stuff up and it doesn't matter anymore doesn't matter, yeah and just <laughs> wait just wait until they announce wave race for the switch oh my wave race that that will be that will be it <laughs> with do you hold the joy cons and like sway left oh, and right to do, yeah. yeah motion controls God, yeah, I'm I'm actually stunned they never did that for the Wii, but there you go. Um, here's a just a... I wanted to speak on a virtual console. I just wanted to put this uh, across everybody's field of view to check out. There's a, an article on Eurogamer this week by Martin Robinson, um, which argues that in some respects, not necessarily for the sales of the Switch, but for the kind of the eShop environment on the Switch, that the delay in announcing a virtual console has actually been in some ways beneficial to the population of the eShop. Um, and it's a very interesting piece because what he's pointing out is that because that vacuum is there, because there's no virtual console there, this is why there's like these kind of uh, people going in and upresing old Neo Geo games yep. and things like that, which have been... I haven't bitten on any of them yet, but it's cool to have, like, oh, I know that I could go in and just, like, get, like, there's a Metal Slug game. There's Metal Slug, Art Fighters, that kind of nonsense. Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty cool. And, like, there's people coming in and doing, like, smaller, um, just smaller kind of up-resing projects that you you wouldn't necessarily see if, like, the the GameCube Virtual Console had launched because that would be owning the the retro game space on there. Yeah. Um, I I thought that was... uh, it's just an interesting point of view I hadn't considered before. I imagine as well that um, it's given games like uh, Golf Story and um, is it Fast Racing? Fast Racing Remix. Yeah, um, and possibly like Wargroove as well. Like these mm. kinds of games that are based. Oh, on... just give us Wargroove, man. These kinds of games that are based on like other kind of quite famous Nintendo games. Yeah. It's given them a platform where, like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, we'd love an F-Zero game tomorrow, but yeah. the fact that we have something that's quite similar but doing its own thing, yeah. and the same for Golf Story and what hopefully will be Wargroove, mm-hmm. it means that all these games and all these developers are getting uh, exposure and, you know, people buying those games because the other games aren't available yet. I, I suppose you could also make the argument that it hasn't made Nintendo lazy and reticent enough to, like, just start going... Oh, we don't have anything coming out for a while. Let's just drop a bunch more virtual console stuff. Yeah, it, it's kind of forcing them to take chances on things like, say, arms or or snipper clips or things like that. So, it, we would love a virtual console, but I thought that was just an interesting way to uh, to think about maybe, maybe the the benefits of it not arriving just yet. I'd still like it. Yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. Um, 
Here's an interesting one. Uh, Epic Games confirms that it's shutting down free-to-play MOBA Paragon in April. Uh, they've announced that they're going to pull the plug on it and servers will go offline on April 26th this year. This news comes barely a week after the developer's candid post to Paragon forums in which it cast doubt on MOBA's future. Uh, at the time, it admitted it was struggling to achieve the magical combination of ingredients that make for a sustainable game and revealed that key Paragon staff had already been moved on to work on Fortnite. <laughs> uh, over the next few weeks, we'll be figuring out uh, if and how we can evolve Paragon to achieve growth and success and now just a week later a decision has been made it's with heavy hearts we've decided to close down Paragon Epic said in a new statement after careful consideration and many internal difficult internal debates we feel there isn't a clear path for us to grow Paragon into a MOBA that retains enough players to be sustainable we didn't execute well enough to deliver on the promise of Paragon we have failed you uh, despite the team's incredibly hard work and we are sorry yeah I feel there's two things that's happened here Uh, one Epic were late to the ball on the MOBA, mm-hmm. and you basically can't be a successful MOBA unless you are Dota or LRL. Yeah, or... even by the time that that game was announced, at a, it was a show closer on E3 a couple of years ago, the announcement for that. Yeah. Um, and it felt, I think it was E3, maybe it was PSX or something, but it very much, even at the time before it came out, felt like playing catch-up yep. on the genre. And you never want to be, as a studio, caught in the position of chasing the trend. Um, yeah, and like having played quite a bit uh, of Paragon, um, not so much recently, but you, you really couldn't, you really got the feeling that it didn't know what it wanted to be as a MOBA. Like it was, it was trying to pull a couple of things from certain directions, and like they completely overhauled the map and put a new map in, and people went mad about that. Um, but the simple fact is, is, it just didn't gain enough traction. Yeah, um, and then you compound that with Fortnite and yeah. the success that's having um it it just makes perfect business sense to say hey look we're putting resources into this thing that isn't working we've got this thing over here that is working and is it working extremely well and is making us money uh-huh. it just it makes sense just yeah. pull the plug now you you, you they're not going to turn Paragon around. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Um, the the thing with Fortnite is that, like, especially with the, the Battle Royal mode, is, like, they aren't... They obviously haven't set the trend there because PUBG has set the trend, but they're still striking while the iron's hot there. They managed to be the first game with a PUBG mode to get out into the market that wasn't PUBG. Yep. And got the jump on being that kind of game on a console on PUBG mm-hmm. like because they didn't come out until December on, on Xbox yeah yeah. Um, so yeah you, you gotta go where the money is at a certain point and much as they might want to make Paragon be a thing uh, you can't go well here's one part of our business is phenomenally successful and we need people working on it but we need to keep this open. Mm-hmm. It's a money thing. And and one thing I do appreciate that Epic did here, that it, I, I don't really recall being a, a popular practice in the industry, is that basically they're offering full refunds on any money that's been spent. Well, uh, here's the thing, because the game is never officially released. Yeah. Um, like, there are physical copies of it you can buy, it, but it's been in early access this entire time. Yeah, it's not at 1.0. Yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, you would have to give the money back, yeah. you know? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> you tell that to some developers. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, it's what it is. is it's it, epic, so... It's it's the right thing to do, and we shouldn't be surprised that the bare minimum of humanity has been exercised. Yeah, well, I, I think... we are. I think a studio of that size... Uh, there's no way they could not do that. It would know? likely have been a scandal if they yes. had ridden off into the sunset. And I also think as well that the fact that there wasn't even any um, any kind of fight about this, it, it was quite simple that they hadn't made enough money that they could easily bear this brunt. For a game that's been out mm-hmm. for like a year and a half, they could bear the brunt of paying back whatever. Uh, yeah. Which really means that, you know... Uh, Fortnite's doing really well. Oh, by the way, uh, news for you. Do you want to know what the PS Plus games for February are? Are they shit? Uh, well, one of them isn't. One okay. of them is... <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I know what one of them is. So, so Rhyme. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. And then Knack. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, haven't you heard? Knack is back. <laughs> it's finally happened. It's it's finally happened. Oh, uh, can't wait. Tra-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> Um, speaking of no further content, uh, our Lord and Saviour ARMS will be receiving no further content updates, sadly. Uh, ARMS has concluded its generous schedule of free content updates, Nintendo has confirmed to Eurogamer. Uh, the Switch-exclusive fighter has had a healthy helping of extra characters, stages, modes, and fighting ARMS since its release last summer, which is true. Uh, but the future content schedule has been up in the air since a mysterious statement posted on Nintendo's Japanese help website back in December. Uh, when translated, this statement suggested no more free content was on its way. They asked Nintendo for more information, and now uh, Kosuki Yabuki, uh, ARMS director and the Godfather project, has confirmed that this is the case. After its launch on the 16th of June, we released several significant free content upgrades for ARMS, including five new characters, 12 new ARMS, five new stages, collectible badges, and new modes like Party Crash. More Party Crash events will still be on the way and will continue to make balance adjustments and other small changes to improve the game experience, but we currently have no plans for bigger updates. Um, sad to see, but like... You know, we got, what, seven months of kind of uh, regular and robust updates to that game. I, I really still do, you know, we, we joke about calling it our Lord and Savior on the on the podcast very often, but that game is a real grower. Yeah. Um, like, that's a game that, sadly, a lot of people didn't get on board with, but I think pretty much like between you and a few other people i've put that game in front of a lot of people and once you learn how to play it it's so much fun it's so much fun it has such a charm to it i really love the the style of the game um a lot of things about it uh and hopefully i think because it broke the million i I would assume that they will at least uh explore the possibility of an arms too uh, all I know, and hopefully people will hop on board then. All, all I know is I've I've seen some like high end gameplay of that game. Yeah. Uh, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, there's no fucking around. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I'm glad, as you kind of said, we said earlier. I'm I'm glad that it's done over a million. Um. I think it's a real. It wasn't just a throwaway thing. Um. Yeah. There was clearly like a lot of effort that went into that, and in a way that how Splatoon was definitely Nintendo saying, hey, here's a, a kind of online arena shooter, but here is 
our very very unique stamp on it mm-hmm. it's the exact same thing with arms yeah. um here's our, our version of a fighter but we are doing a completely different thing yeah um, we're taking a popular genre and we're putting like our nintendo weird ass spin on it and this is like and fair enough you can you can go and and say about nintendo that oh, look, it's always just uh, some version of Zelda, Mario, Metroid, and if you want to make the argument, it's it's hard to argue against it, other yeah. than the fact that those games yeah, are usually pretty good. Yeah, again, like all platform holders have that, you know, like we're about to have our umpteenth God of War. Yeah, well, I, you know. I, let's say uh, considering Nintendo, like Nintendo have been doing 80s, it longer, but so, you know yeah. what I mean. Like if Sony had been around since the eighties, we'd done God of War ten. But or, it, it, you, know. you could not say that Nintendo are completely not without just being weird motherfuckers I'll just look at what we were talking about last week I mean, just look at the fact that they have consoles that are fucking weird you know <laughs> the peripherals that are cardboard exactly um so yeah i'm and it's a it's a good game that's yeah. the key thing is yeah. arms is a genuinely good game i really like it with a banging soundtrack with a banging soundtrack um xbox games with gold for february we talked about how knack is back for, on the ps4 this month on uh, playstation plus uh well we've got three kind of uh, games and one that's definitely stealing the show here for games with gold so we've got shadow warrior assassin's creed chronicles india which is their kind of like it's not a proper assassin's creed game it's a side scroller uh split second which was an xbox 360 game that i have only just heard of this second although uh, according to this article it's a very very good game um and then the other game, Mark, that is available for free on uh, Xbox One from the 16th to the 28th of February is Crazy Taxi. <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to get that. Well, yeah, sure. Um, I don't know, what what was that Xbox 360 version of Crazy Taxi like? Uh, oh, that was on Live Arcade, I think. Yeah. I presume it was fine. Yeah. I don't remember hearing that it was I, bad. I've never I mean, owned Crazy it's Taxi. It's fucking so. Crazy Taxi. Yeah. It, I can't imagine it's the hardest game in the world to it's, port. Exactly. Um, um, to be honest... It's, the, it's not the strongest month they've ever had, but Crazy Taxi certainly... No, but, you know, I, I don't think anyone's ever going to buy Crazy Taxi. Um, yeah. It's going to cost this... them nothing to give away for free, and people are going to pop huge for it. Yeah, although it has to be said, I kind of really only prefer playing Crazy Taxi when... I'm actually at the arcades because yeah. they have one um, at Token. Yeah, they do. Um, so that's that's a good laugh. Um, but yeah, if you get that, we'll play some Crazy Taxi one evening. Mm. You know, uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds passes four million players on Xbox One, uh, which uh, which is another million added to the player base in less than two weeks. Uh, it's an incredible milestone for a game which launched less than a month by ago. Any, by any chance, was there a Steam sale? Uh, no, this is just Xbox One. Oh, like just one. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, this went on sale less than a month ago. Oh, gotcha. we're already sorry. at four million on Xbox okay. One. Well, uh, hey, look, three million of that was within two weeks. Dave, they <laughs> yeah. fucking need something. There to play. is there is a user base there starved for any game coming out. So you get a game that's like really popular like this coming out, and it's gonna sell um, like gangbusters. Um, <clears throat> we're going to move into the, some kind of like we're getting right in the weeds of these last few stories Mark I've grouped these together because uh, they're mostly linked along the, the kind of game uh, and kind of the, the the money behind game developers is the kind of theme of these stories um, 
and this is an interesting thing to talk about. Uh, according to reports, uh, last year in the UK, 212 games were approved for tax relief. Um, this is a part of games or any sort of creative artistic medium that uh, often goes kind of not talked about. Um, any sort of art or media like that, there's a lot of kind of on the on the smaller scale, and especially if you're trying to get a developing scene going, whether it be like kind of... Uh, british cinema or in this case the the, the british uh, video game industry um a lot of those smaller studios as they're growing as they're establishing themselves rely heavily on two things one is tax breaks and two is grants yeah um so it's it's great to see this report coming up that uh, more than 200 games were certified for video games tax relief in the uk last year according to the bfi a total of 212 games received a uh, final certification for the government's financial incentive up to 12 percent of the uh, uh over sorry up to 12 percent of an increase uh, on the previous calendar year and uh almost 100 more than in 2015 mm. in addition to these games a further 182 received interim certification which is a three percent improvement on 2016 um yeah this is kind of like you you know and, and have talked to in the past smaller developers and this kind of like any sort of financial break is really the lifeblood of these kind of studios yeah um like unless you you hit it big with something within the first six months um which can you know give you the chance like you look at someone like mike biffle with uh with thomas was alone you know he was working Mm -hmm. in a studio uh for a couple of years while working on that in his own time and then you know he's been able to as far as i can see kind of live off of that since and has been able to work on volume and whatever else and you know hire freelance artists and whatever to, to work on his other stuff um so stuff like this is is absolutely crucial and it's nice to see that as fucking inept as my government is they're not completely without uh some things that they still know how to do correctly um but then this does come down to money so you know they're good at that i guess for the wrong reasons speaking of the wrong reasons i'd also just say as well like considering we've seen like a lot of studio closures over the last couple of years like it's it's good to see that there's still a, a thriving uh, industry and mm-hmm. there's all these smaller startups and there's still plenty of opportunity, you know? Speaking of bad decisions and money, let's take a trip. It's been a while. Dust it off to Konami Corner. Oh! It is with a heavy heart that I must announce sales and profits have both been on the rise at Konami. Fucking hell. What f- What with... Konami's Are you going to tell me Metal Gear Survive? Konami's profits jumped 30%. Holy shit. To 38.5 billion yen in That's the nine a... months ending December 31st, 2017. That's a lot of pachinko. Revenues, meanwhile, were up 9%. Uh, of its various divisions, digital entertainment posted the highest growth and highest revenues, up 21.7%. This compares to... Uh, kind of their smaller gains in health and fitness gaming and systems and in amusements uh, digital entertainment profits surged 21.9 percent which dwarfed all the company's other divisions although amusements saw stronger growth uh, konami was keen to highlight its mobile success which mm-hmm. is where a lot of this is coming from with great performances for the winning 11 card collection and a big recent update for pez 2018 downloads for which hit 80 million in january uh, also credited were Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, which I forgot that was a, a Yu-Gi-Oh! was a Konami 
there's an overall deal at Konami. I've just forgotten that Yu-Gi-Oh was a thing. Yeah, uh, which has now passed 60 million downloads. Uh, Professional Baseball Spirits A and uh, Jikyu Powerafu Puroyaku. So it's fair to say they're still massive in Japan. Uh, and apparently console titles such as uh, PES 2018 and Super Bomberman R were said to have performed solidly. Well, it was a launch title, so, yep. you know. Launch titles do sell disproportionately well based yep. <laughs> relative to their quality. Even if I would say the cost of that game at launch was slightly overpriced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's, you know, for a, lo- for a lot of people who at the time were like, oh, they're going to rue this day that they've stopped developing... Uh, you know that they've gotten rid of Kojima they've stopped developing proper Metal Gear games and they're not doing Silent Hill anymore and Castlevania is in a box somewhere Um, turns out no Uh, from a financial standpoint they are going from strength to strength uh, which is yeah quite something Uh, speaking of Japanese companies that are doing well financially of all companies Capcom are also doing quite well Uh, they uh, reported uh a 36.9% increase on their operating income relative to last year. Uh, funnily enough, the the main reason for that? Ultra Street Fighter 2 on the Switch. <laughs> Apparently, Ultra Street Fighter 2 on the Switch sold so well that it managed to uh, uh, compensate for what were very poor sales of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. You have got to be kidding me. I am not kidding you. <laughs> Jesus. Well, you know, I guess those Street Fighter fans, they'll the, keep buying Street in Fighter the, In the investor report, it was described as a smash hit, uh, Ultra Street Fighter 2 on Switch, making up for what they described as soft sales of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which is kind of uh, studio speak for it was a fucking disaster. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's quite something. We also had uh, confirmation as to how disappointing Star Wars Battlefront 2 was. It only sold 7 million copies across all platforms, which is quite devastating for how much money must have been put into that game and yeah. how much was provided. Also explains the reek of desperation off them with the microtransactions mm-hmm. at the start when they like they probably looked at the first week sales and went, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> um they have also said that the the now official party line on why Anthem has been delayed to 2019 is to give it space from Battlefield, which will be out in Q3 this okay. year. Which I suppose in one respect does make sense because you don't want to do like Activision did. Was it Activision or was it? No, it was EA. What EA did a couple of years ago where they released Battlefield and Titanfall within a week of each other oh yeah and then you had and cannibalized call of, you had, and you had Call of Duty in between Call of Duty was in, sandwiched yeah, in between yeah, the two yeah. and completely smart. cannibalized it very smart um, so yeah they're at least on the face of it they're making room for Battlefield coming out this year I'm interested to see what they do with that game we talked about that last week though um, speaking of EA in the last quarter they made a loss of 186 million dollars um, so they have growth in their digital business, but uh, yeah, the, their digital revenue, uh, like I said, is the one thing that's definitely a, an upward creeping trend. Uh, digital revenue accounted for 67% of all earnings. So that's your microtransactions, your digital sales, things yeah. like that. Yeah. So at least that part is on the rise, but $186 million might explain why in our next story, 
Microsoft <laughs> is reportedly interested in buying Electronic Arts. Boy, now this is... And this seems like, you know, the ending of that really bad Amazing Spider-Man 2 where the Sinister Six start to come together. <laughs> like, this is yeah. two corporate, massive corporations that some would describe as evil kind of hooking up together, possibly. Um it would be quite the monolith if it were to happen. Well, I'm let, not necessarily sold on it. It is only hearsay at the moment. Let me let me read more into this for you because it's there's more to it than just that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is from Polygon, and they allege that the console manufacturer Microsoft are attempting to acquire a, a major video game studio, and along the names mentioned were Valve. Now, if they all right, don't even fucking mention EA. If Microsoft purchased Valve. That's a complete game changer. Yeah. You know? Um, but I, I don't think that's happening. Uh, but I do think also that's the more, like, if you're going to make a moonshot, that's the one. That's the fucking moonshot. Because they, like, the main things that, like, that they would want that for is because Microsoft is not the biggest distributor of digital games on its own operating no, system exactly <laughs> yeah and you know they have their windows live store or whatever the fuck it was yeah. but eh, no one uses that yeah. come on now um they looked at pug pug ju- uh, corp and electronic arts um now <laughs> if we'd had this conversation say three months ago i would have said there's no chance ea are, are doing fine and you know EA still have, as I think we discussed this last week, maybe. Um, EA still have FIFA. They have uh, Madden. They have their yeah. sports franchises. They're not in trouble, no. But they've been rocked. You could certainly see if they decided to do a few layoffs here and there or close yeah. another studio. Um, wouldn't surprise me. I, I think what it is is the case of Microsoft have smelled a tiny bit of blood in the water. Yeah, they're looking for acquisitions and. EA have recently, in a very public way, been wounded. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. This isn't the first time EA have been in this boat. Um, mm-hmm. They had two years running where they were named the worst company in America, I think it was. Yeah. Um, they've had bad PR before. Yeah. And their EG, uh, E3 conferences each year are terrible. Um, but we can look past that, because they do you know, still have good games and... Uh, they still have some initiatives like EA Originals. Uh, and there's some stuff there that doesn't completely write them off. Mm-hmm. The whole EA Battlefront, the, uh, the whole Star Wars Battlefront thing, I don't know if that's a part of a a larger issue that they all have. Um, we've seen that now Anthem has been delayed. Now, not in their words. Yeah. Um it's been delayed. It, it's the, the the Battlefront thing becomes a bigger, more systemic problem if the things that made people so mad about Battlefront are something that behind the scenes had become corporate policy. Yeah. So all projects in de- all large projects in development have this baked in already. Yeah. Now, uh, which is going to be a massively costly pivot to make if they have to make it. Now let's point out right. So Battlefront still sold seven million copies. Which isn't anything to to sniff at. That's still a lot of money, a lot of games sold. Now, obviously, it's not anywhere near to what they would want it to have. But you take that, you take... um, Well, there's not as much money as they wanted to get out of it because obviously because of the whole uh, microtransactions fiasco. EA were expecting 14 million. So they've done half of what they were expecting. Mm -hmm. 
if so we've got UFC out uh Friday Friday um what the hell are the next big things we've got we've got um that uh a way out which yeah. isn't going to be a, a massive seller but mm-hmm. you know we'll it's see got, what that does it's got a lot of PR behind it does it, have so, a lot of interest yeah. in it um what else is the big things? Obviously, there'll be FIFA and Madden. Yeah. That um, EA are very much a, what, like... What Bioware doing at the moment? They're all in on Anthem. They're they, their A team okay. is on Anthem. So, that's that's way off yeah. them. The, their B team is currently, like, they're in the the kind of... The exploratory phases of Dragon Age. Apparently, they're, the, the, the scuttlebutt on Dragon Age is that they're doing a full series reboot. Mm. Off the back of Inquisition did very, very well for them, so they want to kind of get a re-entry point to the series yeah. for the people they got on board. Um, so, now, the sports games, they're a completely separate audience. They're going to sell as they always they're, sell. They're kind of immune to com- yeah. the, the whims of the market. UFC, I mean, I don't know that being like a massive seller. Mm. Um, now, I know that the last time we've spoken about it, they were having a, a microtransaction sort of system where you would, or no, sorry, loot boxes, yeah. where they would unlock upgrade your punches, upgrade your punches and shit like that. Yeah, there's a UFC Ultimate Team thing on. Yeah, yeah. now we'll see how that does. But coming back to the bigger picture here, Microsoft, um, they bought Minecraft. It's not completely out of the realm. They would make a punch for for EA. What do you think? What, what uh, do you think? I don't know about likelihood. Uh, I think it's it's a smart move from Microsoft um, because EA is a huge hitter in the industry. It's it's one of the big three publishers. Uh, I don't know what it does for the dynamics of the entire industry if one of the three biggest publishers in the world is owned by a platform holder. Um, I, I would be inclined to say because people's immediate panic would be would this mean EA games become exclusive property of Microsoft no because that would be financial suicide for even a even a Microsoft owned EA um, because the fact is the the combined kind of usership of um, the the PlayStation 4 and the Switch is bigger than that of the Xbox One so there's no point in making all these things Xbox One exclusives because you're cutting off more than half the market from yourself Yeah. Uh, I if it were to happen hypothetically and I would lean towards it not happening um, just at the moment because it seems like such a huge like this is kind of like a you know a, a Disney buying Marvel level thing of like this is going to be a huge huge money deal so until I see something more substantial I'm going to doubt that it will happen uh, but I would see them following the model of what they did when they bought Minecraft. They bought Minecraft, they're keeping Minecraft going. They haven't taken Minecraft away from any platforms that it was already on. Like, you can still play Minecraft on Switch, you can still play Minecraft on your PlayStation. Um, but what they would probably do is start doing kind of a staggered release of bonus content. So, like, you're, you'll get exclusive Ultimate Team stuff, you can only get an Xbox One, things like that. What they will do is, in, yeah, instead of taking them off platforms, they will just create stronger incentives for you to play them on xbox one yeah uh, and meanwhile may rake in the money that you would get from owning one of the three big publishers in the world uh final bit of just bonus news it's a little bit of a release date uh heads up dark side detective which is one of my favorite games of last year a very very funny point and click uh pixel art style kind of supernatural detective game uh is coming to switch next week they just dropped this announcement like yesterday, the day before. Darkside Detective, February seventh. 
uh, coming to Switch, uh, I believe in all territories. Uh, so I that's a, a thoroughly recommended um, game. If you played Thimbleweed Park on your Switch, this is right up your dizzle. Scratch that itch. I, okay. I, it's that same kind of, uh, like I said, point and click adventure style game that you don't really get that much anymore. Uh, it's a lot of fun and I think like I said the, the funniest game of last year for sure for me I might look into it you you bigged it up somewhat mm-hmm. fierce mm-hmm. Um, still haven't played the they, they dropped a, an additional bonus episode for free at Christmas that I still haven't checked out yeah but uh, uh, yeah very good game I love it a lot uh, that's going to do it for the news let's now move into the book club which is that feature on the podcast every single week where we talk about an important game from the past that you should play for the first time if you never have before or pick it back up again if it's been a while this week being no exception as we talk about the game known as Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island is a 1995 platform video game developed and published by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. A prequel to the Mario franchise, the game casts players as Yoshi as he escorts baby Mario through nearly 50 levels in order to reunite him with his brother Luigi, who has been kidnapped by baby Bowser's minions. Yoshi runs and jumps to reach the end of the level while solving puzzles and collecting items. In a style new to the series, the game has a hand-drawn aesthetic and is the first to have Yoshi as its main character. The game introduces his signature abilities to flutter jump, produce eggs from swallowed enemies and transform into vehicles. The game's hand-drawn aesthetic, a style new to the series, descends from producer and Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto's distaste for the computer pre-rendered graphics of the game's contemporary Donkey Kong Country. Yoshi's Island was released in Japan on the 5th of August 1995 and worldwide two months later. Mark. Hi. Yoshi's Island. Mm -hmm. Yoshi in general. Mm -hmm. A divisive figure. I would have thought Waluigi was the divisive figure. I mean, as a character, a divisive figure, but in terms of his games, we don't have a a lengthy Waluigi series, sadly. Yeah, there's a... (laughs) At some point, we yeah. have to get we got to get Waluigi wear or Waluigi wear. Yeah, yeah. Jesus God. Uh, but we'll get him and his his side parting in <laughs> in Mario Tennis <laughs> in a couple of months. So look forward to that. Um, yeah, this was an interesting one. This is an interesting game to to put in here. There's a lot to say about this from kind of like. Uh, a positive standpoint and from a, a negative there's one particular thing about these Yoshi games that persists to this day that is the source of much consternation from people who play these games uh, but but let's talk about Yoshi as a character thoughts <laughs> throw it open he's a dinosaur yeah uh, giant green dinosaur yeah <laughs> uh, he is 
used as a platform for Mario to jump higher, which usually results in his death. Yoshi, for me, was the, like, you know the way a lot of people who grew up our age and a little bit younger who were around, like, for the the SNES or the NES, like, Toad is their dude. Yeah. Because he was, like, just this, like, just this cute character who was in the Mario games. That was Yoshi for me. Like, my default on Mario Kart is Yoshi. I love Yoshi's Island. I have still in the drawer back there Yoshi's story Mm. Um, if a Yoshi game comes out I will buy and try it Um, and what people don't seem to appreciate as well the quality is is kind of scattershot on them well is that because of uh, you know the the introduction to Super Mario World we always Mm -hmm. seem to forget that Yoshi can actually write as well yeah a beautiful writer Uh, yeah you know (laughs) and I feel that's that's never fully appreciated Uh, no I, I remember just as uh, using, I always kind of saw Yoshi certainly playing Super Mario World and, so, and full name T Yoshi Sora Munch well, Yes, obviously giving his full name, full credit. <laughs> um, like as a as a, a mechanic or a device or whatever, like he's an extra life, you know, or he's an extra hit, if you will. And so he quickly became um, a very kind of dependent thing to to use, uh, an item to use almost, mm-hmm. um, like an upgrade, um, because. You know, if you were uh, kind of full-size Mario and you took a hit, well, you're down to kind of mini-sized Mario and then one more hit and you're deaf. Um, and you can't kind of reverse that other than picking up another mushroom. Where with Yoshi, if you get hit, all that's going to happen is Yoshi's going to start running away. And as long as you're not on one of those kind of areas where it's just bottomless pit after bottomless pit, you're going to usually grab him again and go on your merry way. Yeah. Um, so he became a very kind of valuable tool like that. Yeah. Um, then fucking Nintendo, as Nintendo can only do, went absolutely mad and went, right, let's fucking switch things around for Mario World 2. Yeah. Um, I think one of the one of the big problems people had with this game, and I'll get to your personal perspective on the game in a sec. Um, I think one of the problems historically people had with this game is the prefix Super Mario World 2. Well, <laughs> because when you come out and whack the Super Mario World dick on the table, certain things are expected. Yeah, yeah. And a charming hand-drawn dinosaur and baby adventure is not necessarily what you're there for. Yeah. Um, so there's a certain element of expectations being widely subverted or avoided. Uh, on this but where when did you first encounter so i didn't thing? i didn't come to mario world 2 until many many years later yeah because yeah, at that age when you have super mario world 1 that's kind of all you need well it's not know? just that i mean the game came out in 1995 mm-hmm. so we're talking this the, is the, this is the death rattle this oh, is this you, and donkey kong country were the death rattle of the snes you've got like the tail end of the snes and then you've got the tail end of the tail end of the snes yeah you know um, so I didn't get this till years later because, as far as I'm aware, it's a pretty rare game to get your hands. Uh, yeah, everywhere but Japan. Yeah, Japan apparently dime a dozen. Oh, no. good for them. <laughs> I was actually I was researching this earlier on, where it's like this is uh, especially because we're at a current point in the market where SNES games are quite overvalued. Like yeah. there's the the there's a real collector's boom on at the moment for them. Okay, and even amongst the rare games on the SNES that have limited runs of how many actually ever made it out into the market Yoshi's Island is one of the rare ones so most people nowadays your best chance of playing this game if you don't own it already is a port of some sort or an emulation I'm pretty sure it's on I'm pretty sure it was on the virtual console it was on the DS as well oh yeah 
um ds version apparently not great though and i think there was i want to say it was a game boy advance game uh, there well. is a uh, there is a the, the game was re-released for the game boy advance with yeah. a few changes in 2002 under the title yoshi's island super mario advance 3 yeah because they had the fucking mario advance titles and it <laughs> fucked everything up and made yeah. no sense whatsoever yeah because nintendo um so yeah i didn't come to this till many many years later now i read about it um before like years before i'd actually play it so i read a lot about how the game was and more importantly how the game looked yeah. because i was like huh this is super mario world 2 huh what the fuck does this look like yeah you know a, a completely unique art style all into itself and you yeah. can't even appreciate it in pictures you have to be playing it to really yeah. see what they go for there. and like we go back to the the thing i read there at the start there shigeru miyamoto mad scientist that he is yeah saw the other game that the other big game that re- was re- going to release around that time donkey kong country and how that was going for a more kind of modern uh and like at least in terms of its environments realistic kind of look um whereas he, he kind of saw I, I think maybe as a gaming traditionalist uh, at that point saw what donkey kong country was doing and was basically like yeah f- fuck off like this is <laughs> and he went not only back to what he knew in terms of the more charming uh less modern take on video games but he just went to the extreme of that and to the kind of hand drawn or hand painted um kind of area like it's it, it like you said it's very difficult to describe the art style like it's definitely um up for the, there's there's two different art styles going on in the game at any one time and there's the foreground and the background the foreground is kind of your rich super nintendo side-scrolling pixelated bright kind of poppy colors things like that and then in the background you've got this bizarre kind of like you know like a pastel painting or like a hand-drawn uh scenery going on in the background it's just wild yeah there's there's very few games even today that like i mean you can kind of see that these are the the origins of what would become like the weird kirby and uh yoshi games like woolly's world and um rainbow curse and shit like that where they would just go for these fucking wild type of visual styles um and sometimes you get a lot of the the idea that there's a lot more kind of uh in the visual style more than like the actual function functionality of the game and you know we'll probably get onto some point about the actual way that this game controls because in some ways like super mario world is the ultimate platformer and mario world 2 is kind of like the Mm anti-platformer um in that it is a platforming game but that's not really the the kind of crux of what you're getting at with this um for a start uh, your health is based on a timer um, because you, you know, as Yoshi, like... The, because the, fuck you, that's why. Well, yeah. <laughs> because the, 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 the whole concept of the, of the game is that you are Yoshi and you have Baby Mario on your back. And yeah. if you get hit, Baby Mario will start floating off and start whining and that fucking whining noise. Oh my God, it is ingrained in my head. And I haven't even played this game as much as some, some other people. Mm-hmm. And you have to get to him again uh, by any means necessary. Um... And it's just, like, when you first play it, if you come to this from only knowing, like, Mario games as, you know, Super Mario World, Mario 3, whatever, 
to see Super Mario World 2 there, in, or just to see Super Mario World there in the title, it's so misleading, and it's so fucking Nintendo. Um, and I need to know, like, where did you come to this game, um, and did you know anything before going into it what to expect? So this wasn't, this is my second Yoshi game I played. I sadly don't own this game, I never did, my auntie did. Um, but I had already played Yoshi's Story. Uh, and one of the driving themes, like you can say, I, I said that the quality of some of these games uh, is a little scattershot. But one thing, and um, we've already sort of hit on it, that the Yoshi games always do is strive to have an absolutely unique art style. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved the the kind of, the, the Yoshi story was going for a more hand-drawn cartoon. Yeah. You know, you've, you've seen Yoshi's story and it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going for that cartoony sort of vibe. This is, um, so I, I played that game, I loved it, and then at some point I was over in my auntie's house and I saw Super Mario World Yoshi's Island. And I went, well, this sounds like two things I enjoy. <laughs> so I put, it, I put it in, and again, I thought that it would be the Super Mario World one thing of, oh, Yoshi's just a slightly bigger part of the game. You know, he's still a tool, you're still playing as Mario. And I go into this and it's just, yeah... I can only imagine, I'm coming to it after the fact, and I already love Yoshi, I can imagine what people who are chomping at the bit for another Super Mario World exactly like the first one <laughs> thought, when they, like, looked at this game, were like, what in the fuck is going on? And, like, he on? doesn't even control, like, Mario, even in no. the, the basis of a platformer. No. And that's, again, know? yeah, like, because it is technically a platformer, but the thing the Mario, like, the core Mario series is known for is just, like, goddamn tight platforming controls. But Yoshi, between his kind of awkward size and and the goddamn flutter jump that, like, it's just, you get into a swing with the flutter jump where you figure it out, but it is not as precise as uh, Mario jumping by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's very much a kind of like, well, we're just going to try this uh, and see what happens. But as a young kid, I would have been about like eight or nine maybe at the time who was besotted with Yoshi anyway. I loved it. And then I kind of get to the point where I'm a teenager and I'm an adult and I'm encountering other people who are talking about Yoshi's Island. Like, oh, goddamn Yoshi, that son of a bitch. (laughs) You know? I was like, oh, uh, okay. But what the game captures for me is exactly, I suppose, what Miyamoto was going for. And that's kind of like the charm that a lot of the kind of mid to late 90s left behind in its games. There, there was an arms race with that PlayStation 1 and 64 generation to kind of improve technologically. Yeah. And I think, yeah, some of the kind of the charm and romance of video games was lost in that. And it's an imperfect specimen. Uh, you know, I'm not going to sit by and defend every creative decision that's made in Yoshi's Island, but it, it definitely, even at the time, uh, breath of fresh air. It's you know? fucking bold. Yeah, you know? it really is. Like, especially again, like to tack that Super Mario World prefix on it is ballsy as fuck. Now, I do reckon that that comes from the the kind of publishing side of Nintendo of saying, "Hey, we have Super Mario World, which sold like mad, and is you know, it's the game on the Super Nintendo." Let's call this game Super Mario World, colon, blah, 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 um, because that will get people to buy this game, you know? And 
I don't agree with that practice. I can see why they did it, because I could also see the publishing side of Nintendo or whatever looking at this and going, this is not really a Mario game. Well, it's not a Mario game, it's a Yoshi no, it's game. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I could see, like, maybe certainly, like, Nintendo of America looking at this and going, I, I don't know. Like, it's... Because you've got the hardcore platformers that love Mario games, but not yeah. for the kind of cutesy art style, just for the hardcore platforming of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this doesn't really have hardcore platforming. Like, it's no. a difficult game in areas. Yeah. But it's and there's a, because... lot, there's a lot in it. There is yeah, a lot I mean, in it. There's 50 levels or something like that I read out at the start. But it's more because of the, the, the general clunkiness of it. But it's yeah. a kind of, in the, the design of it, it's meant to yeah. be clunky. It's a, it's a kind of rough gem sort of thing, yeah. rather than a polished diamond like um, Mario. And then there's the art style, which kind of in that Wind Waker way of where it's very kind of... You either don't, you either love it or you hate it, and yeah. I really, really like the art, art style of this game. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, more than anything, I love the enemy and boss design. Um, there's a real yeah. kind of, there's like a, a childlike inventiveness to them, but in a, like, I imagine if a, a child had a nightmare and then had to draw what that nightmare was, like I imagine it would look like some of these creatures because there's kind of a. There's kind of a... Uh, how to describe it? They're quite intimidating to look at, but they're also completely adorable. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think they get that across really, really well. Uh, and I don't know if that is the intent of it, obviously, because you've got Baby Mario. If, if that is the kind of design to try and create something that's kind of cute, but quite menacing at the same time. Yeah. And I think they nail that, if that is what mm-hmm. the intended design was. Yeah. Um... God, what, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, I, I suppose we've been dancing around it long enough. Um, let's get to the, what I think is the singularly, the, the sorry, the singular most d- divisive part of all Yoshi games. And it, it starts here. And that's egg throwing. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, if you're not going to like the game, you're not going to like it even before you get to the egg throwing. Yeah. All right. Like the moment you have Yoshi, that the 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 avatar in your hands and you're moving along, like you're either not going to like it to begin with, or you are. You know. Yeah. Um. So I don't even see the egg throwing thing as the most egregious yeah. thing. It's yeah. Well, just... like the thing, like so, I'm fine with the egg throwing, but that's because I'm already on board. Yeah. You know. But I mean, I'll say this: peep, the, the I people will... who don't like Yoshi super don't like the egg throwing. I will say this. If I was going to design it, <laughs> this is not how I would do it. Especially, right, I can see, right, so in Yoshi's Island, like, the, the idea, if anyone who doesn't know, so the way the, the egg throwing works in Yoshi games is that you press the button to aim the egg, and then your cursor moves in kind of like a quarter circle back and forth. Yeah. So you try to, like, almost like in an Angry bird sort of way, except it's automatic instead of you kind of nudging up and down. Um, so you have to judge at what point the trajectory will hit your enemy and then release at the exact right time um, and I think that the real mechanical problem with it um, in terms of the game is that it slows things down mm-hmm. um, because the thing about being proficient at a platformer is that you can just zip through levels and because you're not in control of the oscillation of the, the cursor to aim you kind of like okay here's an enemy I have to stop I have to hold the button. 
I have to wait for the perfect shot, wait till the enemy lines up perfectly, zip the egg off them. Um, now, I can kind of, in Yoshi's Island, I can kind of uh, understand that at the time, we were not living in the era of dual analog sticks. So, it wasn't, the solution to that problem was not as evident and apparent as it is nowadays when we have dual analog sticks and we have touch screens and things like that but the fact that up until current day yoshi's woolly world on wii u still has that exact same mechanic that people have been giving out about for two decades now (laughs) um and as was expertly once pointed out by one big jeffrey gersman uh, it's a shame that the Wii U didn't have some sort of touch screen and a stylus where you could point to where you were going to throw the fucking egg. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's probably the one part of like a lot of the legacy that the Yoshi games have in terms of like their their bold direction with art styles. Because I think, like I said, Yoshi's story is a really cool looking game, um, and I love Yoshi's Woolly World so much. It's the most fucking char like you know we talk about unravel being like too much with the whimsy yeah this is like the perfect amount of charm and whimsy yoshi's woolly world it's a fucking gorgeous game and i would absolutely if that showed up on the switch store tomorrow absolutely bought again Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm very excited to see what they do with cardboard I, i have a feeling now in hindsight after the announcement of the last couple of weeks that perhaps the Yoshi game this year incorporates Labo somehow <laughs> because it would be weird if that game is all about a cardboard aesthetic and they're yeah. releasing these cardboard peripherals and the two did not have any sort of relationship with the other but it's also perfectly Nintendo that one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing so uh, yeah that's the the egg throwing thing in the the trailer for that game that's coming out this year it did appear as if that mechanic has been changed because he aims an egg at one point and it doesn't go so well it it depends on there how is they light at the end of the tunnel for it depends the on how they want that game to be um because the key thing that i think that pisses a lot of people off is that that mechanic breaks the flow of the game and i think that in 2018 um the kind of and it seems kind of silly to say but i think there is some legitimacy to it um if you have a platformer where you can't constantly be going left or right and you have to stop to use this mechanic i could just see that pissing people off so i think that it's the kind of thing where you have to have some sort of egg throw mechanic where you can be on the move or it just it feels a lot more fluid uh, I think that's a necessary thing. Not because I think the original mechanic is, is wrong or broken, but I do think it's the kind of thing where you have to try and adapt it to either, you want to say, a modern audience or just just a modern style. Mm. Absolutely. I, I think we'll, 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 put a, we'll put a cork in this now. We'll, we'll end it, uh, and I'll, I'll try to get to my, uh, my elevator pitch here now. Uh, if you're a fan of... Uh, a charming little platformer but aren't exactly um picky about the the small details about it being you know a a really tight handling sort of game this might be for you this is a great game for people of all ages if you've got a kid this is a great great kind of game to play with them um it's also one of the 
one of the things that in hindsight as an adult I respect about it that I love that you should check out as well is definitely check out this game if you're a fan of any time Nintendo have just taken a wild fucking left turn out of nowhere <laughs> and like again just this spectacular knowledge that in the same year they released a game that looked like Donkey Kong Country and then a game that looked like Yoshi's Island um, so yeah just check it out for one of the weirder left turns that has had a strange now at this point twenty three-year legacy of creating just boldly artistic and strangely wonky platformers um that definitely do have a, a charm to them as i said so that's that's yoshi's island we got one last bit of business for this week and that's for mark to tell us what the game of the week is going to be for episode 99 so i'm going to take us uh one year into the future after okay. the release of um yoshi's island um I'm going to take us to 1996, and I'm going to talk about an early game on the PlayStation uh, Mm -hmm. that was developed by Game Design Sweden, AB, and I'm pretty sure this was the only fucking game they ever released. Uh, (laughs) This is the 3D platform puzzle video game called Cooler World. Okay. That name sounds familiar, but I'm very doubtful I've ever played it. I'm going to get you some footage, and I'm going to show you what that game was all about. Okay. I played a lot of this game on the playstation back in the day um and it's one of those kind of it's one of those kind kinds of real um underrated i'm not gonna say unappreciated because i don't think people even realize it's a thing but very underrated kind of lost gems of the original playstation Mm -hmm. um and i'm still waiting for that remake okay so cool world episode 99 link to the cast that's gonna do it for 98 uh, this podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for links to the cast. Subscribe to us there. Rate, review, tell a friend. All of it helps. Helps get the clicks. We live for the clicks, Mark Robinson. Linktothecast.eu is the website. If you want to get in touch, link to the cast at gmail.com is the email address. But you will get quicker responses from us and be able to keep up with our latest content over at facebook.com forward slash link to the cast or at link to the cast on Twitter. Individually, I'm at Dave Ryan IV and Mark is at Lithium Project. Uh, on the tweet machine we also have a range of sister podcasts to get released semi-regularly that just by subscribing to us on your podcast platform of preference you will not miss an episode of not only do we have a link to the cast but we have our uh once every so often pro wrestling podcast called the grap up of which as i mentioned before there will be an episode this week we tend to wait to do those until there is kind of enough significant news within the graps to be talking about so look forward to them uh once every so often and then we also have the popcorn social myself and jack lazell's look at all things on the big and small screen uh another one of those dropping in a couple of weeks talking the shape of water among other things i would imagine anyway for link to the cast episode 98 i have been dave ryan the man over here on my left has been mark robinson and we shall see you all next week goodbye <laughs>